0: Chapter five, Matthew Chapter five. Just a moment we're going to read a very familiar passage. Matthew chapter five. Jesus Christ, God's only Son, second person of the Trinity, stepped out of eternity into time. To make a way for you and I to step out of time into eternity. He came. He lived. He died. He resurrected. He ascended. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for us. And he did all of this so that you and I could be forgiven of sin and find a right relationship with God the Father through him. While he was on earth, he said that his task was to, to reach those who were lost, which is everybody. The older I get, the more I read this book, the more I really come to understand some things. Jesus' message in those days was the same for everyone. It was. Come. Follow. Me. Had you been in that crowd. It would have been something like this. Since you care enough to come and hear what I have to say. Why don't you come on for the rest of the journey. And be my disciples. Every word he spoke. Every action that he took. Every place he went. His call was the same. He was looking For disciples. He was looking for learners. He was looking for followers. He was looking for people to extend his kingdom and expand his local church. And with Jesus, it's all or it's nothing. To understand this book that I was just talking about. Understand the call that Jesus puts on everybody. I am convinced that his call to you and me is to... Come and be my disciple. Follow me. Not only just follow me and be my disciple, but be a part of the team. The team that that carries my gospel to the world. Not to just those who are in my family or in my church. Not just to those people. To everybody. In fact... The most familiar rendition of the Great Commission, which is Jesus' last words before he ascended, was listed in some form in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. But the most familiar one is Matthew 28, and we know 19 and 20. Old King James says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. This week I perused, I read almost 55 translations, transliterations, paraphrases, and other uh, renditions of the Bible. And almost three-quarters of them say, go and make disciples. The reason King James's translators use, go ye therefore and teach, is because in the 16th century, teaching was a form of discipleship. It was about action. It was not an academic exercise. He's called all of us in the same way to do the same thing, to be the same thing if we're going to be a part of, of his family. <clears throat> so we're thinking today about discipleship, like we thought last week. I'm going to pause just to give you a confession. Mark, Your own. A couple of weeks ago, Mark walked in on a Wednesday night and he said, Have you seen this new invention on the Internet? And I said, Well, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, ChatGPT G- is, I believe, the website. He said, You type something in. And it gives you something back, and it writes it out. So this week, I did that. And I found it. Now listen, let me say to you, I think artificial intelligence is, may have some really downsides. It could be some really bad, so be careful. But I have found it useful in research. So this week, I'm just going to, I'm laying this out here. I pulled it up, and I said, define a Christian disciple. This is artificial intelligence. It in the real thing. But I want you to see what it says. A Christian disciple is a person who has chosen to follow Jesus Christ, to learn from Him, and to live according to His teaching. The word disciple comes from the Greek word methetis, which means learner or student. In the Christian context, being a disciple means more Than just being a student of Jesus. It means making a commitment to follow Him and to obey His commands. A disciple of Jesus seeks to imitate His life to grow in spiritual maturity and to share His love and message with others. Spacebar. There we go. To be a Christian disciple requires faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, repentance of sin, and a willingness to submit to his authority in all areas of life. It involves a daily walk of faith, relying on the guidance and strength of the Holy Spirit, studying the Bible, participating in worship and fellowship with other believers, and serving others in love. In summary... A Christian disciple is a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, who seeks to live a life that reflects his teaching and teachings and values, and who actively seeks to share the good news of his salvation with others. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of impressed. I mean, artificial intelligence gets what sometimes human intelligence miss. And today, I would just say to you that what we've just read is the title of the message, A Disciple's Walk. A Disciple's Walk. The only thing that I would say that is missed in that long definition is that the call of Christ is not for a few people to be disciples. It is for everyone who receives salvation and redemption through the blood of Christ to be a disciple. It's for everybody. Last week, I introduced you to this book. It's called Cultivate Discipleship, written by two of my friends, Kevin and Randy. In that book, they unpack what Randy's been doing for 17 years at the church he planted um, in Birmingham. And it, last week, we, in the book, there's four, they call it phases, steps. It's, it's chapters you need to go through And last week, it's not going to be on the screen, I'm just going to tell you about it. Last week we talked about your identity in Jesus. Your identity. Where do you find your identity? It's important. Just as sure as you go and put the GPS in your phone and it wants to know where you want to start from, it has to know where you're starting from so they can tell you the direction to where to get to. If you're going to be a disciple, you have to know where you're starting from. And it starts from that identity. And I warned you, for those who weren't here, is that if you find your... You better be careful where you find your personal identity, what you feel like you're known for, what gives you worth. If you find your identity in your hobby, what's going to happen when you don't have that hobby anymore? If you you find it in your wealth, what's going to happen when the stock market falls down or you lose all your wealth? If you find it in your vocation, in your job, what happens when that job dries up or goes away? If you find it in your... Marriage. What happens when the you lose your spouse due to death, or one day he or she walks in and goes, "I'm out"? If you find it in your family, what happens if God forbid tragedy happens and you lose your family? You see, folks, you should never put your identity. You should never put your self worth in something that can be taken away, or are something that someone could steal. The only place for us as believers to find our identity is in Jesus Christ. We find our identity in Jesus Christ, then we're on solid ground. That was the first that they shared with us in that book. The second thing was intimacy. That's what we talked about last night. Intimacy with Christ. Friday night and Saturday, we had a men's conference. I am sad to say, men, I love you with all my heart. Shame on you. This was worth. This was worth being here. For those that were here, here, there was one statement, man, that that spoke to me deeply. As Tony was talking about fear of God, he made this statement: "To fear God means you take Him seriously." What does taking him seriously mean? Let me just let me just make everybody mad at the same time. There are things that you take serious in your life. When I when I go fishing, I take that serious. I spend days getting bait. I spend days checking the weather. I spend days and hours, energy, money getting ready to go fishing. When I go play golf, I get the right equipment, I make sure I have balls and tees, and I make sure my glove is in good shape, I make sure my bag's in good shape. I spend time getting ready for the event. When I go hunting, I spend time looking where I'm going, maybe feeding the deer. I spend time and energy because because I want to do it well. You see, when you fear something, you give some time and energy and effort and essence to it. Intimacy with God requires energy, effort, and and all of you that you are, your essence. The truth is, is that I ended the service last week asking this question. How do you find, how do you define your relationship with God? Is it intimate? That means you know His will and ways. He knows your will and ways. That means you're committed to Him. That means you give energy and effort to Him. Is it intimate? Is it distant? i warn you about following Him from a distance. Peter followed Him from a distance. Followed Him right up into the enemy camp. Followed Him right up into the courtyard warmed himself by the fire. He was close enough that he and Jesus could lock eyes, but he was not so close that Jesus impacted his life. Could that be you? Is your relationship intimate? Is it distant? Or is it non-existent? If you're one of those and you're you're sitting here and you know as it unpacks, you don't have a relationship with Christ. Please listen. You could have said that you can say the sinner's prayer from today until Jesus comes. And split hell wide open. It's not the words you take. It's, the, it's not the words you speak. It's the actions you take. It's the belief that you have. It's the change in life. If you never trusted Christ, never asked Him to forgive your sin, and committed your life to follow Him, I urge you, before this service is over, do it today. Before it's eternally too late. And then you will want to develop that intimacy with Him because your identity will be in Him. Now today, let's just talk a little further. Identity, who you are in Him. Intimacy, how close you are to Him. The third thing that they share that I think is so profound it's the instructions. But before we get to those points, we're going to share today the instructions and the impact. But I want to get this scripture in front of us because as I studied, as I read the book and I studied the scripture, this jumped out at me. Matthew five, thirteen through 16, a very familiar passage. Would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy word? Jesus has just finished giving the beatitudes, and then he looks at him and he says, you... Are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Rather, on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus... Would you speak to us today? Would you open our minds, our ears, our hearts, our spirits, and our souls and speak to us in ways that will change us to be everything that you want us to be, that we can be your disciples, that we can be walking in the way that you have called us and want us to? Father, we need you. We need no words but yours, no spirit but yours, no direction but yours. Be close to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we're unpacking this last week, identity, intimacy, today, instructions. How in the world do we do it? Well, we just read this scripture where Jesus is trying to tell us how to do it. And we could spend several hours going through uh, things like when we think about the instructions of to do, we we can we can spend hours going through things like what you're created to do. You know, God created you to do something. We can go through things like your giftedness. When you got saved, God gave you spiritual at least one spiritual gift. We can talk about your passion. We can talk about your purpose. These are things which the Bible teaches, and we should seek to discover. In fact, let me let me let this is a. This is a an exercise that requires response. I always have to warn you because uh, it's not natural. How many of you... I want to make this as easy as I can, Eric, okay? How many of you have ever read or heard of Rick Warren's book, The Purpose-Driven Life? Now, I wanted to embarrass you and go, how many has gone through it? In that book... Rick talks about things just like this, the instructions, and he uses the the acrostic shape for how you discover and how God forms you to serve him. Shape, spiritual gifts. God's given all of us at least one, most of us, multiple spiritual gifts at the moment we got saved that should be deployed. That's That's why, let's take two of them. He gives the gift of administration the Bible teaches, and he gives them the gift... Of service. You put, a, you put a servant trying to administrate and they go crazy. You put an administrator trying to do the service, they go crazy. Because it's not their spiritual gift to do this. That's another stud, study for another time. But your spiritual gifts, the H stands for heart. What do you have a heart to see done in the kingdom, for his kingdom? A stands for abilities. God has given you some innate abilities that are not spiritual gifts. Ladies who play the keyboards, some people go, "Man, that's a spiritual gift." No, it's not. It's an ability. It's something you worked hard to learn to do. P, personality. Uh oh. Some have better personalities than others, but whatever God, personality God has given you, He wants you to use it for His kingdom. E is experiences. Your experiences in your life make you who you are and make you effective. In God's ministry. Because they form you. Or shape you. To do what God's called you to do. In verses 13. 14. And 15. We are offered. A set of instructions. Let's look at them. The first one. Is you are the salt of the earth. And he follows quickly with you are the light of the world. Now. Now. I'm going, to do, I'm going to do this first part in rapid session. Then we're going to take a little time and understand it. The first thing I'll tell you about this is it's personal. You. 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 It's very personal. You. It's also, number two, present tense. You are. It doesn't say you were. You had been. You might be, you will be, you can be. It says, you are, and then it's purposeful. He gives you exactly what you are, the salt and the light. You are. Now, I want to pause to say before we kind of unpack this salt and light thing, is that whether you like it or not, if you name the name Christ, you are these two. It's a matter of whether you're good or not. Whether you're fulfilling your purpose or not. It's kind of like being a witness. Every one of us is a witness for Christ. Some of us are good witnesses. Some of us are bad witnesses. Some of us bring displeasure to the Father with how we honor or don't honor His name. Some of us bring pleasure to the Father. It's... Not a matter if you're going to be a witness. Just, you're going to be a witness. It's not a matter if you're going to be salt or if you're going to be light. It's a matter how you're going to be. it. So let's just look here. I want it. it's we're going to just leave that screen just like it is. So you're going to have to write it down if you want it. Have you ever thought about, we're going to talk about salt first. Have you ever thought about, you're the salt of the earth. Have you, have you ever thought about all the uses of salt there are? Well, some of you have. Reader's Digest last month had an article, 60 clever ways, 60 clever uses of salt that do not involve cooking. Salt. Jesus is telling us to be valuable to the world. You realize that salt was a value. when When Jesus spoke this, do you realize how valuable salt was back then? You can do your historical study, but I believe it was the Roman army. I'm not sure. It was one of the armies in days past. They used to pay their soldiers in salt. And that's where the phrase, he's not worth his salt. That's where it came from. So let's think about, let me give you four or five ways that salt is to be used that we are to be. The first is salt gives flavor. You know that. very few. As I've started cooking in the last eight or ten years, I have discovered that there are very few foods that taste good without salt. There are very few things in our culture that taste good without the salt of truth, the salt of the gospel. I suggest to you that one of the reasons that Christian movies are, are making so much money these days when when the powers that be in Hollywood say that they're not marketable and yet... Every time they, you know, name them, Facing the Giants, Courageous, uh, War Room, and the most recently, Jesus Revolution, they didn't think it would make but just a little bit of money, and people turned out in droves, and it made millions. Why? Because people are hungry for the truth. They're hungry for the authentic voice. And the truth is, is that, The authentic voices of truth and and biblical uh, ethics and morals have largely gone silent today. They've given way to the sound of the ungodly voices of our culture. Social voices. Ethical voices. Moral voices. When a life, when your life, And the accompanying voice of truth is seen as authentic. People will sit up and take notice. They will recognize the truth. Because truth brings hope. And listen, hope tastes good. Hope tastes real good. Salt brings flavor. Salt preserves. I could ask this and a lot of hands would go up. How many of you remember the days when you had salt houses out back? I can tell you, I'm going to drive you up just off Gates Road up there, where Uncle J.L. lived, and for anybody who wants to know, that's, that's Coach Watts' dad, where they lived. I can walk up to their property and walk down. by The house is probably not there anymore. It may be torn down now. But behind the house, down the porch, off to the left, they had a salt house. They would hang meat there and they'd put, I don't know all the process because I I was a kid and never understood the process, but some of you could tell us about it. They would put salt on that meat so it would preserve it so it wouldn't ruin. One of the functions of the disciple in this world is to be salt and to show Jesus' love, to show Jesus' grace, to show Jesus' mercy, to show Jesus' gospel, to show this culture the solid truths so that this culture could be preserved. Our church culture is disintegrating because of the lack of salt. The spiritual voice of the past has given way to the loud voice of the secular today. And we have chaos. You are the salt of the earth. So it gives taste and it preserves, but number three, it melts things. It melts things. When our bridges freeze over, they put salt on the bridge. Up in the north, they keep a healthy supply of salt. So when the roads freeze over, they would put the salt out. I mean, have you ever hit a bridge or a chuck of ice when the road's frozen over? If you have, and I suspect most of you have, You know that when you're on that ice, you're not in control of your car. You're now at the mercy of of the law of inertia. It can take you where it wants. It can can cause you to wreck. In this culture, we deal with cold, cold hearts. Have you ever been in the presence of someone with a cold heart? It didn't matter how much truth you give them. It was just cold. It just glanced off. And yet, when we show the love of Christ, when we we are the salt of the earth, His Spirit can melt the cold heart. You may get there, if you think you're smart enough to win an argument with an atheist or uh, somebody who is a cultist, you may win the argument, but you may not melt the cold heart. You see, we have to exude our Lord Jesus by our speech and by our actions so that it is His salt, it's His salt, it'll melt the cold hearts. Just a couple more. Salt cleans. Most of you ladies know this. Salt will, will clean things. Coffee stains, oven, refrigerator, uh, watermarks. Can you think of anything that needs cleaning up any more than our culture? Our culture needs 150 people to be salt. Last thing I would just say is salt heals. Salt heals. <clears throat> my dad used to fight our infections when we get... I got stuck one time by a salt water catfish. If you know anything about it, that's the nastiest stick you'll get. Daddy brought me home, made sure that I had my foot... <clears throat> And hot, salty water for the next week. And I never had any pain. You pour salt into a wound, it hurts, but the healing already begins. The truth is, I could stand here and talk for a while about that. But do you know, or maybe I should say, do do I need to offer you a whole bunch of ways that God's people can bring healing to this culture? I mean, think about 2 Chronicles 7.14. It's a very familiar scripture. You can probably quote it with me. It's written, It was God spoke it to Solomon as Solomon had finished praying and he said, if my people, my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, if they'll do all those things, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. So I take away from that what I've told you before. If we want this land healed, Our sin has to be forgiven. For our sin to be forgiven, we have to be heard in heaven. And for us to be heard in heaven, we have to take responsibility where he says, if my people who bear my name and my image, if they will repent. What does repentance look like? Humbling yourself praying seeking his face and turning from your wicked ways at that point god's ready to god's ready to respond could it be that the reason this country this culture is going the wrong way is because god's people won't man up salt he called us to be salt he also called us to be light. You are the light. Why light? I would suggest to you that since Genesis, light light and darkness have opposed one another. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, earth without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. You see, the truth is that God didn't have to invent darkness Because darkness, by definition, is simply the absence of light. The Bible intimates that spiritually the whole world walks in darkness. That means the natural world. People have an absence of understanding, an absence of knowledge, and an absence of the enlightenment of God. They don't understand it. Like it or not, I want to say this because I have so many grandparents here and parents here. Like it or not, we are prone to evil. Just like Adam and Eve. I know that we have the best grandkids in the whole world. If you don't believe, if you don't agree with me, keep it to yourself. But I'm just going to tell you this. Every one of them had to be taught to do right. None of them had to be taught to do wrong. It's our nature. Light. Have you ever thought about all the things light does? I'll give you four or five things, but I'm just, let's, let's look at that, see where it says you are the light of the world. Jesus says that. If you read it, the whole New Testament, you, you discover that Jesus says, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light. But when I leave the world, tag, you're it. So what does that mean? Light, first of all, it illuminates. You know that. It chases away the darkness. The path that seems dark, the path that seems hard, gets a little easier when the light lights the way. Could the reason be that so few are coming to know Christ? Could it be that the way is not lit, that the way is dark? Light illuminates. Light exposes. It exposes sin. Darkness is Satan's deal. It's not God's deal. Walk in and, and darkness surrounds us. I tell you what, I, when I think about it, light exposed. And I'm reminded when I, I'd go into our houses years ago when they were all wood. And you turn on a light and cockroaches ran for cover. Do you all know what I'm talking about? Because cockroaches didn't like; They wanted to do their bidding in the dark. That's Satan. Light. Illuminates, It exposes, but it also reveals. Light reveals things never seen. It'll reveal right. It'll reveal wrong. It'll reveal good. It'll reveal bad. It'll reveal God. It will reveal Satan. Evil doesn't like the light. Light also brings warmth. For we're the light of the world, we bring warmth to the world. This is a cold world. I don't have to tell you that. You live in it every day. The light shining through us will bring a warmth that the world needs. You are the ones who light the world with right and righteousness. You are the one who light the world with goodness and the gospel of God. And when you do this... You show His love, you show His heart, you show His grace, you show His way, you show His gospel to people who walk in darkness. We are to illuminate the narrow way. We are to expose sin. We are to reveal Jesus to everyone who's listening. We are to bring warmth to a cold world. This is us! It's not those folks down the street, it's us! These are His instructions to you, And me, a disciple's life, living his life, walking his truth that points people, not just our family, not just our church, fellow church members, but people out there pointing people to him. He gives you and I these instructions to impact the world. To impact the world. And that's the last thing Randy and, and Kevin have taught me. We find our identity in Him. We walk in intimacy with Him. We get the instructions from Him. And finally, and last today, that we make an impact for the world. It tells us in this scripture how to do it. Down in verse 10, and we'll put a little of that on the screen. This is what he says. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I want you to notice that. I want you to notice who it, who is doing the works, <laughs> and then I want you to know who gets credit. Basically, all we're doing is pointing our fingers. I've never been able to verify this, but I heard a preacher say many times... 40, 50 years ago that in the Navy in years past that they taught the sailors on the ship that when bad weather came they had one hand to hold on to the ship so they wouldn't be washed overboard and one hand one the one hand to hold on for themselves and one hand to do the work of the ship and they went on to say that if you turned loose of the ship you'd be washed overboard be no good and if you Held on with both hands, then you're no good to the ship. You couldn't reveal your responsibility. You see, folks, we grab a hold of Jesus, and the only thing this hand is good for is to point everybody to Him. That's what we're called to do, is to point people to Him. This disciple, being a disciple, lighting the way, being salt. Stories told of a nine year old boy who went with his family over to Europe. And when they were in Europe, they toured the massive cathedrals of yesterday. When I think of those massive cathedrals and I think about the stained glass window in those cathedrals and how they're framed and how they put saints and disciples, pictures that you can see. I'm reminded of the Catholic Church on the Mississippi Gulf Coast has the same thing. You walk in there, it's a circular, and it's gorgeous, and it has disciples and fish and everything. This boy went over there and he was struck by the, and by the way, the one in Biloxi is a lot smaller than the cathedrals of Europe. And when he got back to class, Sunday school class, his teacher said, Son, would you tell us what impressed you the most? What did you think of all of that? He said, well, he said, I loved the sense of awesomeness. I loved the hugeness of those cathedrals along with the stained glass, because it reminded me of the awesomeness and the hugeness of God. And see, so we started talking about the stained glass windows, and he said, well, now that you've seen those things, can you tell us, how what is a disciple? What is a saint? Can you tell us what that is? And the boy thought just a second, thinking about to walking into that room and seeing the light shine through the... Uh, Stained glass, and he says, Well, I guess this is a person the light shines through. Folks, that should be you and I. How do I become that light that Jesus can shine through? I think it might be worth noting before I just give you three thoughts. That, isn't it interesting that Jesus said you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And then he follows that with the negative. This is what happens if you don't be the light of the world. If you don't be the salt of the earth. Just to sum it up, he said salt, that's not salty, is useless. Light that's not lighting the world is worthless. So how do we avoid that? How do we be his light? I'm going to suggest three things to you very quickly. First of all, we best begin with our personal prayer life. Why do you say that, Brother Jerry? Here's why. Because if you choose to be salt and light in this world and represent Jesus, know this. You are stepping into a minefield. You are stepping on the battlefield. Because now you are directly opposed to Satan, the evil one. Well, Brother Jerry, Satan's never bothered me. Well, if you're going the same way as Satan, he's not going to bother you. When you step on that field, you'll be going in opposition to him. That's the picture of the broad way and the narrow way. It's a road inside of a road, the narrow road running through the middle of a big road. And the big road has the traffic going this way, and the narrow road has traffic going that way. Satan will come after you, so you better have a prayer life. And I'm not just talking about using your prayer life like a filling station. You just go whenever you need to fill up. I'm talking about a consistent prayer life where you develop that intimacy with the Father. Second thing I'd suggest to you is that you need a spiritual worldview, not a secularistic worldview. Told you last week your worldview is how you the lens through whom that you view the world with. Spiritual worldview will see the world in basically two dimensions. The people that you meet. You will see people who know Christ, and you will see people who need Christ. Spiritual worldview. A secular worldview tends to be selfish and self-centered. A spiritual worldview seems to be un- is generally unselfish. It's generally, generally selfless. And it leads to gospel action from a gospel heart. We talked about it Wednesday night. Some of the characteristics of that are humility, gentleness, patience, love, generosity. You need a personal prayer life that's effective. You need a spiritual worldview where you're seeing things through the eyes of the Father. And finally, and most difficult, a submitted heart. We don't really like that word submitted. We're not going to submit to anybody. Well, you're going to have to now or later. Either you voluntarily fall on your knees before him with a submitted heart, or one day he's going to force you to your knees by his presence. I think the submitted heart, is the problem with that is that we're too proud. We're too prideful. I'm not bowing for anybody. When we are submitted to him, we want to give him all that we are, our energy, our essence, our efforts. And we want to do that by serving people he died for. We give cups of cold water in His name. We love the unloved. We touch the untouched. We try to reach the unreached. And we come to this position in our heart and life. Have you ever done this? Have you ever said, Lord, would you do something with my life that's extraordinary? It's extraordinary. I believe if you pray that, We'll do it. Let's pray together.